This morning I've, I've given our sermon the title, The Stiller of the Storm. The Stiller of the Storm. Would you read now the Word of God? On that day, when evening came, He, meaning Jesus, said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took Him along with them in the boat, just as He was, and other boats were with Him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus Himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke Him and said to Him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Not that long ago, back in Mark chapter 3, we saw that Jesus summoned his apostles to be with him, and to preach the Word. In chapter 4, Jesus stretches the, stresses the power for the growth of God's kingdom comes where? In the hearing of the Word, which shows us the light of the world, God's Son. And for the Word to get down into the soil of our lives, we need to have good soil, not shallow soil that focuses simply on what Jesus can do for me, but the kind of soil that is eager to receive Jesus simply because of who He is. And this passage is showing us who Jesus is. He's the Lord. Not long from now, Jesus is going to send out His apostles to preach the Gospel, and they still do not really have a grasp of how powerful Jesus is. They've seen Him heal paralysis. They've seen Him cure sickness and cast out demons and even offer forgiveness like He is God. But is He really God in the flesh with us right here, right now, letting us in His boat? You know, there's nothing like a good storm to soften up the soil of a heart that's willing to look beyond the storm to the only one who can still it. You see, Jesus will sometimes take you through a storm to help you see who He really is. And this story proves for us that Jesus is the Lord over all creation. He's sovereign over the storm and He's sovereign in the storm. In Jesus, the Lord of Psalm 107, 25 and 29 has come for us. We read about this storm. We read about this Lord all the way back in the Old Testament when the prophet says, For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which He lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man. They were at their wit's end, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Then He brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 107. 25 through 29. You see, Jesus is preparing his apostles and he's preparing us for a mission of bringing his light of the gospel of the kingdom of God to those who are enslaved in darkness. And that mission will not be easy. That mission will be stormy. It will be dangerous. They will encounter sick people, poor people, tired people, depressed people, demon possessed 
people. And as they do, and as we do, we must remember who we serve. We serve the stiller of the storm. So this morning, when storms threaten to overtake us, there's three things I believe we learn from this text. First, we must understand that Jesus will allow great storms to get your focus on Him. In fact, I believe this text shows us that Jesus will even cause great storms to get your focus on Him. Jesus is the Lord. We see that by the end of the passage. He knows full well if He can predict the weather, He can cause the weather. He sends a storm. So we will see who Jesus is. Some of you this morning are going through a storm and you can't figure out why you're going through it. It might be so that you see how much greater Jesus is. Secondly, we must trust in Jesus and not lose heart. And finally, we must be overwhelmed and motivated toward obedience by the greatness of Christ. I'll, I'll pause there for just a moment. I was unable to get those notes out in time for you to have blanks to fill in. So if you want to write down that whole sentence, you can. And, and I want to teach you this morning just, just how, I, how I preach. It might, it might help you how to listen. This is the architecture of the sermon. This sermon in a sentence every week is the architecture of the sermon, Okay. There's something that happens, and God has some implications of that for our life. What should we do in light of what has God said? That's, I think that's important for us to always ask. So we've just read what God has said, and here's what I believe. With the illumination of the Holy Spirit guiding your preacher, here's what I believe God is saying to His church that we should do. We need to look at storms from the right perspective. We need to understand why He sends them, and then we need to... Keep trusting God and not lose heart in the middle of the storm. And then finally, we need to be motivated toward obedience by the greatness of Christ. And I can't wait to get to that last point. But that's it. Sermon's over. But now, now that I've given you the architecture, I'm going to try to prove that to you through the text of Scripture. I didn't just make this up. I didn't just go to bed and say, that sounds like a good sentence. I, I, I studied and I poured over the text and this is what I believe that God is saying to His church. You understand? You with me this morning? Alright. So first, we must understand that Jesus allows great storms to get our focus on Him. Now some of you are thinking this morning, I know what you're thinking, I don't want to serve a God who sends storms. I want a God who keeps me out of the storm. But is that really the God you want? You see, in verse 35, it's Jesus who says, let's go over to the other side. It's not the disciples' idea. They could have disembarked their boats and walked to the other side, which was very common to do. But it's Jesus who says, let's get in a boat and go across the sea. As J.D. Greer said, there are certain things you can only learn from God, or learn about God in a storm. He sends a storm because they are His laboratory. Storms are where you learn about the terrifying, awesome, wonderful power of Jesus. Greer continues, everyone wants to see miracles, but no one wants to be in a position where they need a miracle. Until God puts you in a place where you need His sustaining power, you'll never really have a chance to experience it. Now the truth is, whether you realize it or not this morning, we are all born into a position where we need God's sustaining power. We need a sustaining power every second, but there's a world out there that doesn't realize that they're lost in darkness, and sometimes God's got to send a storm that brings them to their knees so the need for the light of the world can shine through into their life. You see, if Jesus can still the storm, He could consume us in a moment, and He would be right to do so. 
But so easily we forget who Jesus is, and Jesus uses the storm to bring clarity to our lives. The apostles do not know what is coming. In verse 36, look at, look at how verse 36 reads. Remember, Mark is, is basically Peter's secretary, and he's recording for us some of the sermons that Peter has preached. And Peter thinks the disciples are in control of the situation. Do you see how he writes it? We, we went and got Jesus and put him in our boat. It's evident by, by what Mark says. The disciples send the crowds home. They grab Jesus just as he was. In other words, they didn't let him go freshen up, brush his teeth. Just, Come on, Jesus, we got this. Good, good idea. Let's go to the other side. We'll put you in our boat. You know, we're accomplished fishermen and all. We know what we're doing. From the perspective of the disciples, they put Jesus in their boat. But here's what they're about to learn. You never add Jesus to your boat. If Jesus is in your boat, the boat belongs to Jesus. If your life is on autopilot this morning, Jesus will send a storm to wake you up and remind you of how desperately you need His presence and how grateful you are to even be on mission with Him in His boat. The difficulty in far too many churches this morning and in far too many individual Christian lives is we want a Jesus that we can control. Not a Jesus who controls us and commands our attention in all things. But God's not going to let us linger in our self-reliant apathy. His mission requires far more power than we have. And He will send a storm to help us be sure that our focus is on Him and His greatness. You see, when Jesus sends us into enemy territory on His mission with His gospel, we must know that He is greater than the greatest obstacles that we're going to face out there. And to face those storms that come, there's a second thing we must do. We must not lose heart. And the way we don't lose heart is we trust in Jesus. When the disciples see the storm, even though several of them are accomplished fishermen, they are afraid. The word afraid there literally means lose heart. Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Why are you losing heart? Why are we losing heart? I mean, Jesus, I know you're asleep and everything, but in case you missed it, we were rocking along this sea just fine, and now we're sloshing through water to get back to the stern to wake you up. And you're wet too, by the way, Jesus. Verse 37 describes the storm like a hurricane. Great winds. The translation that I read said fierce winds, but the word is literally great winds. Gale force winds. The waves are breaking onto the boat in between the time that the apostles realize they are in trouble and the moment that they wake up Jesus, they are already filling up with water. That's a quick storm. That's going from zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds and they lose heart. Jesus, we're in the middle of a storm here. Don't you care that we are dying, that we're drowning, that we're perishing for a moment? It's like we're reading Jonah chapter 1 all over again. There's a great storm, and there are accomplished sailors that are now greatly afraid, and they wake Jonah up and ask if he cares if they are dying. And of course Jesus cares that they're dying. The reason that he has come is to die for them. It isn't for this storm that he has come. He's come to destroy the stormy wrath of God that is against sinners. The storm Jesus has come to face is nothing compared to this storm. He's come to drink down the dregs of the wine cup of the wrath of God. 
And nothing in creation is going to stop the Lord of creation from fulfilling His mission in obedience to the Father. So here's the question that this text raises. Do we really believe that Jesus is greater than the storm, even if the storm keeps raging? Some of you this morning are dealing with storms that are robbing you of sleep. But Jesus is able to sleep through the storm. You see, sleep is found in trusting in the one who can confidently sleep through the storm because he's sovereign over it. I mean, verse 38 is incredible to me. Jesus tells the disciples to take a boat. He dials up a storm. He calls shotgun on the stern, grabs a pillow, and goes to sleep. The only time we see Jesus sleeping in all the Gospels is in the middle of hurricane-force winds. Think about that. As Aiken writes, all the other seamen are afraid and Jesus is asleep. The disciples think Jesus' sleep shows that He doesn't care, but He is really showing us what faith really looks like. When Jesus asked the apostles in verse 40, do you still have no faith? We know what faith looks like. It looks like the ability to trust in the sovereign God and to lay our head down and sleep in the middle of the storm. Jesus has shown us that we can rest in the middle of the storm when we are pursuing God's mission in the world. How does Jesus sleep? He's walking in obedience to the Father. He's doing exactly what the Father's called Him to do. He's trying to get to the other side where He's going to cast out demons and He's going to raise the dead and He's going to deliver the disease. Then ultimately He's going to get to the cross and the Father's not going to not let Him get to the cross and the Father's not going to not let you fulfill your mission for Jesus in the world as long as you're walking in faithful obedience to Him. So whatever the storm is in your life this morning, the question is, are you surrendered and submitted to the will of God for your life? And if you are, then pillow your head and go to sleep and don't worry about the storm. Jesus doesn't send the storm to shake your confidence, but to clarify your confidence. He's training His apostles for the days ahead when there will be storms that do not blow over. But if they're in the boat with Jesus going where Jesus is going, they can grab a pillow and rest knowing that God is in control. His mission will not fail no matter how big or intimidating the storm. This is how Lottie Moon could say, a pioneer missionary to China, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. But you don't know about my storm, Pastor. And you're right. I don't know about all of your storms. I hear about some of them. And that's okay. That's what a pastor does. But at the end of the day, in every situation, my confidence is not in your ability to navigate the storm. It's in the God who holds you through the storm. And here's what I know. Storms emerge in all kinds of ways. Some of the storms that you're facing, you might have created by your own sin. Some of them are caused by the sins of others. Others are caused by a big old mixture of sin. And some like this one just pop up out of nowhere. They have nothing to do with what you've done. And they are, as Donald Trump would say, huge. But get this. 
Whether the storm you're facing is one of your own creation, one you inherited, one you stumbled into, or even one God Himself has sent, the point of the storm is not the greatness of the storm, it's the greatness of Jesus. Let's not be more, more impressed with the storm than we are with our Savior. Sometimes, church, we're like the weather channel with our storms. Are you a weather channel watcher? Let me tell you about my storm. Let me tell you what's coming up. Let me give you all the details. I'll tell you how it compares to the last storm that came blowing through. Oh, I got a forecast for this storm. I got the five-day, the 48-hour, the 12-hour, minute by minute. Some of us even give our storms a name. Oh, that was Hurricane Bob came rolling through. And if we're not currently in a storm... We're either gossiping about someone else's storm or checking the 15-day forecast looking for a snowflake out there so we can buy some milk and bread. So we can manage our storm. But Jesus doesn't send storms to see how well you can manage the storm. He sends storms to drive you to trust in the only one who can be your still in the storm. Just because you're in Jesus' boat doesn't mean you're going to have a storm-free life. In fact, if your life is storm-free, you should begin to wonder if you're in Jesus' boat. Because the life of those who follow Jesus is a life that is headed to a cross on mission to save the world. But if you are in Jesus' boat, and even if He takes you to the cross, you can face every storm knowing that He is sovereign over all. Don't look at the storm and lose heart. Look to the Savior who's over the storm, whose mission cannot be stopped. There will be days when Jesus does not quiet the storm. But because we have seen who He is, He will be our quiet in the storm. And this happens. This is so key, church. This happens when we are overwhelmed and motivated toward obedience by the greatness of Christ. When we are overwhelmed and motivated toward obedience by the greatness of Christ, the The storm is stilled by Jesus. Everything's returned to normal. And so the disciples have a party. And they celebrate. No. You see what happens? They really get a glimpse of who Jesus is. These guys who were ten feet tall and bulletproof, suddenly they got nothing on Jesus. And the one who's with them in the boat is terrifyingly more awesome and powerful than the storm that they have just beheld that they were afraid was going to kill them. And here is one that is more powerful than that. Belonging to Jesus, church, doesn't give us permission to be storm makers. Some of us think, well, I trusted Jesus a hundred years ago, so now it's all about me and what I want to do. I put Jesus in my boat, and I, I don't have to obey Him. I can be casual with His commands because He died for me and that's okay. If that's the Jesus who died for you, you haven't yet seen who Jesus is. Jesus is not safe. He is the omnipotent, righteous, holy King of the universe. And when the storm is raging and the waves are rising, Jesus gets up and rebukes the storm in verse 39 like He rebuked the demons in chapter 1, verse 25. You rebuke things that are below you. Jesus rebukes the storm like a mom putting a toddler in timeout 
hush, be still. And the tense of these words is hush and keep on staying quiet. And be still and you better not move. Jesus stands up to a storm like nothing the disciples have ever seen. And in a moment, the wind died down. Literally, it tired out. Can I tell you how encouraged I am to know as your pastor that Jesus can tire out the storms that threaten to tire me out? The sea became perfectly calm. The word perfectly there is the word great. Literally, it became a great calm. Behold the power and the authority of Jesus. He does not go through a three-step process. He does not rub a rabbit's foot or find a four-leaf clover. He doesn't even pray to the Father in this situation because Jesus is the Lord God Almighty in the flesh and He can stop with His Word the very creation that He spoke into existence as the Word of God. That's who is with the disciples and that is a terrifying, awesome, wonderful, fearful, dreadful thing. And look at what has happened. God is sent a great wind that he turned into a great calm, which leads the disciples to fear a great fear. If the storm is dangerous, how much more dangerous is disobeying the one who is infinitely greater than the storm? As Aiken writes, the presence of God is far more frightening than the most destructive forces of nature. One can take your life, but one can claim your soul. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear those who can condemn the soul to hell forever. This reality is settling into the souls of the apostles as they look to one another. And what do they say? Not let's party. Jesus is here. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Instinctively. Nobody had to give them a theology lesson Nobody had to tell them because of the one who's in your boat and the greatness of him that that means you ought to obey. Instinctively, they put together the power of Jesus, the identity of Jesus with the need for obedience. How could we come to the Lord's Supper and not consider the great power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to dispense of anyone or of anything living in a way that is contrary to His glory and His mission in the world. You see, if the wind and the waves obey, so must we. We cannot really appreciate or worship Christ unless we maintain sight of the fact that He is the Holy Creator God and we owe Him our all. What are you saying, Daniel? Here's what I'm saying. As long as you fear the storm more than you fear Jesus, you will obey the demands of the storm rather than the command of the Savior. Some of you are in a storm of financial crisis and you're pursuing financial security more than you're pursuing the faithful Savior. Some of you just want to be significant. You want fame. You want somebody to notice you. And you'll, you'll compromise wherever you need to compromise so somebody will know your name and pay attention to you. Some of you just don't like a hard life. You'll do whatever it takes in order to have a life of convenience. Some of you are afraid of discomfort. Whatever it takes to be as comfortable as you possibly can at all times, those are the gods that you serve. We need to fear disappointing Jesus more than we fear the consequences of the storm that surrounds us. 
And when we really see the power and authority of the One who came for us, when we, like the apostles, stand on the boat on a sea where the waves were billowing up over the boat and crashing in just a moment ago, and now it is like a glassy sea in an instant. When you behold the King of glory, you will, f- you will fear disobeying Him. You will fear disappointing Him. You would fear that He would remove us from His mission if we would take His grace for granted. This is exactly, by the way, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.30 when he says, For this reason... Because some of you are coming to the table and not really considering what it costs the King of Glory to lay down His life for you. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and a number of you sleep, meaning you die. But if we judged ourselves rightly in light of who the King of Glory is, you would not be judged. Church, this morning, before we would come to the table, may we repent of any ounce of taking Jesus for granted and letting the wind and the waves offer Him a better obedience than His own people do. As Greer says, true worship is a mixture of awe and intimacy. Awe at realizing the true awesomeness of God. Intimacy at realizing He paid your full sin debt, and then He brought you close. One without the other is a deformed spirituality. We just sang it. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Then grace, my fears, relieve. There's some this morning who have fear, but no intimacy, and therefore no warmth and no love in their relationship with Jesus. Others have intimacy, but no awe. They're lazy or they're casual in their disobedience. There's all kinds of compromise in your life. You're uninspired. You don't take bold risks for God because you don't really fear Him. If we don't have a proper fear of Christ, we will not stay the course when the storms come. But those who fear Jesus don't need to fear anything else. So this morning, church, let's give Jesus the obedience He deserves. Let's be about His mission. And when the storms come, may we look to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and obey Him as the sovereign Lord of creation that He is. This morning, as our deacons prepare to serve the Lord's Supper, I want to ask that you would pray that no matter what storm you're in, that you would see Jesus as greater than the storm. That no matter what storm you're in, that you wouldn't trust the artificial God that the storm is offering to you. Oh, if I just row harder, I could get out of the sea. If I would just do more, have more, be better, I could get out of the sea. But instead, that you would cling to Jesus. And finally, that you would stand in awe at His majesty. That He would even come down for you at all. Behold the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as we pray and our deacons come. Would you bow with me? Our Father and our God, we bless You this day. We thank You that You did not abandon the mission because the storm seemed too great. We thank You that You came down, You came low, and though You had all power, You put yourself and your own interest aside for the interest of others. For the interest of us, your family. God, help us as we partake of the bread and the crushed fruit of the vine this morning. 
to consider afresh how great you are and how worthy you are of our obedience. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.